clap of praise. Glory to God. You can do better than that. Uh, you're giving the King of kings and the Lord of lords praise for what he's done. Amen. Well, bless God. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to World Changers Church Houston. We're so excited that you're out here with us on this Easter or Resurrection Sunday, whichever you prefer to call it, it's fine with us. Amen. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for this another opportunity to minister to these, your precious sheep. I thank you, Father, that revelation knowledge will flow freely, uninterrupted and unhindered by any satanic or demonic force. I thank you that it is you doing the speaking today, you doing the thinking today. May it be none of me and all of you in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. 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 Well, I hope you've come expecting one today. Amen. Uh, now, if you're with us for the very first time, I want to welcome you again to World Changers Church Houston. Uh, my wife, Melissa, and I, uh, we're the senior pastors here, and this is indeed a church uh, that's a fellowship church of World Changers Church International, founded by Dr. Dollar and Pastor Taffy out of Atlanta, Georgia, and we're just so excited that you're here with us on the day. Just want to let you know up front, we are a Bible-believing church. Amen. Glory to God. We believe the Word. Amen. Somebody say all of it. Yes, and we believe in rightly dividing the word of truth. Somebody say all of it. <laughs> Amen. Um, we believe uh, that indeed there is an Old Testament, an Old Covenant, but we thank God for the New Testament, the New Covenant. Amen. Amen. Somebody say, what that mean? You stick around here long enough, you'll know exactly what that means, and we're talking a little bit about it today. Um, but we thank God for the gospel of grace. The Bible talks about in the New Testament that if anybody was to preach any other gospel, woe be to him or her. Amen. So uh, buckle up, get ready, because I'm excited about what God had been sharing with me. Uh, the title of today's message, as my wife uh, so lovely and beautifully said, From the Tomb to the Throne is our title on today. And just to kind of dive right in, I, I was um, saying, Lord, what do you want me to talk about on Easter, you know? Because uh, I'm not the type of person that just because it's Easter, we're just going to have an Easter message, amen? It's whatever God wants to share with us. But he said, I, I want you to help people understand their rightful place in me. And I said, okay, Lord, what do you mean? He said, there's too many believers. Somebody said believers. There's so many people who are Christians who are believers that don't understand who they are and where they are in Christ. And as a result, we begin to accept things in our lives that are illegally there. We begin to accept sickness and disease and divorce and mental issues and issues with our kids. And, and we, we accept these things because... Maybe we don't know any better, or maybe we weren't taught the right things, but at the end of the day, there is a place that you are seated in Christ, and in that place, it's a place of constant, never-failing, never-ending victory. And if we truly understood that and could get a hold of that, we wouldn't accept anything less than that another day in our lives. And I declare that before you walk out of here today, you'll understand that and your mind will be changed and renewed, and you will walk your victorious self all throughout this week, all throughout this year, all throughout the rest of your life, full 
of the confidence of who God is and who you are in him. Amen? Amen. So let's start. Let's go to uh, St. John chapter 1. St. John chapter 1. And we're going to start with uh, verse 1 and then we'll skip to verse 14 and we'll read this out of the uh, King James version of the Bible. And then we'll come back to the to the herb after that. Somebody said, what the herb? What is that? That's the easy to read version. Herb is our friend. Amen. I said, herb is our friend. Amen. Because we, we believe here in all that get and get understanding. And some of us have been reading the King James and we that Elizabethan language been tearing us up. And we don't we don't know what it's talking about. Uh, so thank God for the many translations. Uh, and sometimes you need to call upon the easy to read version. Amen. Uh, how many of you guys know it's not, it's not any, less, any less anointed? I remember sitting in church feeling like, oh, I can't believe they reading the Message Bible or they reading the NIV. And then I saw the easy to read. I thought we were all sinners the first time we read the easy to read version. Yeah, it don't make no sense. So we're going we're gonna to enjoy all these versions. Amen? Amen. All right. So uh, we're going to start at verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was with God. And the word was God. Now go to verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory. We beheld who? Now, it's been talking about the word, but now it says the word is a he, and his glory was beheld, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Who was the only begotten of the Father? Let's, let's pause right there. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. Go to John 3, 16 real quick. Because I need you to see who the Word is. Because you got to see where the Word came from to really appreciate what the Word did for you. We're about to show you all of who He is. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Who was his only begotten son that was given to us that we're celebrating on the day? Jesus. Okay, let's go back to John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So who is this talking about? It's talking about Jesus. And Jesus was full of grace and truth. That's why we say Jesus is indeed grace. He doesn't just have it, he is it. And, and it's not like grace is something different than truth, by the way. Grace is the truth. Grace indeed is the truth. So Jesus, here he is, he came as a favor, and he came literally to earth as flesh for you and I. But where did he come from? He came from the Father, and where's the Father? And he didn't just pop out of the Father, right? It said he was indeed created. We know he was from the Father, but he was with the Father. Jesus was in a position up in the throne room already. And he came from the throne to earth. Are you with me? He didn't have to come, but he did. But that's where he's from. He didn't just pop out of the air. He indeed came from God where God was at. And then he came to the earth. And when he came, he was and indeed is full of grace and truth and is grace and truth. 
Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 14, and we're going to go up to verse 16 in the uh, King James Bible. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest. Now, who is this talking about? Jesus. That is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So we just read that Jesus came from the throne or from heaven into earth. And now we're seeing them diving a little bit deeper into it and say when he came as our high priest, even though he was tempted with sin, he didn't fall into sin. Verse uh, 16. Now it says because this, because you have this high priest, because you have Jesus who came and went on that cross for you, because he did what he did and finished it, it says... Let us therefore come how? Why would it say come boldly? Well, because if you know the Bible back in the day, the, the priest had to prepare himself before he could come into the presence of God. And only the male priest of a certain line, after having prepared himself a certain way, could even attempt to enter into God's presence. It was so important that it was so easy that he could die that they would tie a rope around him just in case he would fall dead. And they'd be like, you going in? I ain't going in. You going in? I ain't going in. And they would have to pull him out. So to get into God's presence was not just something anybody could do. But when Jesus, your high priest, shed that perfect blood, and the veil was torn, you and I gained access once again to the Father. Not needing a priest, not needing even a preacher, but you yourself having direct access now through Christ to the Father, you don't have to have nobody tie no rope around you. You don't have to prepare yourself extra special. You can come as you are boldly with some swag into the throne of grace because that's your daddy. You can come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain what? Mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. Now this, is this, I could, I could literally, I'm trying not to break every word down in this, this uh, particular translation here, but we can go into his presence to find and to obtain mercy. Mercy is when I, I messed up. And I deserve to be punished, but I don't get that punishment. And here we thought this whole time that I can't enter into God's presence with stuff going on in my life. I can't enter into God's presence with failure in my life. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. God says, there's mercy in my presence. You don't have to be perfect. As a matter of fact, I want your imperfect self to show up so that my perfection can get all over you. That's what he wants to do. Well, I hear what you're saying, Archie, but, but, but how many times can I, can I get this mercy? He says, in the time that you need it, you'll find it. 
How many times you need it? Well, that's how many times it'll be there for you. Ain't that what he's saying? And find grace, favor, to help in time. How many of you guys know that God will be there in time, every time, on time? Not some of the time, in time. What did he say? He may not come when he wants him, but he always right on time. Let's look at this in the uh, Message Bible. Uh, verse, uh, I think, 14 through 16. It says, now that we know that we have Jesus, this great high priest, with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. I say today, don't let it slip through your fingers. I say it's right there, but it's up to you to lay hold to it. Well, how do I lay hold to it? We need as believers to start believing. You gotta believe this is yours. You gotta believe that there is no sin that is greater than the mercy and the grace of God. God welcomes you in to his presence. Jesus came from the throne to the tomb and then back to the throne. So at the end of the day, so that we could have access and approach the Father. Go with me to Hebrews 4:16 now in the Living Bible. The Living Bible. And I'm going to read it from here because I don't know if they have that in the back. And, and we read it earlier in service. It says, so let us come boldly to the very throne of God. And I love this part. And stay there to receive his mercy and to find his grace to help us in our times of need. What you have to understand is the enemy has a job to get you to move from your place of priority. Your place of priority must be the presence of God. Not the presence of man, not the presence of your spouse, not the presence of your preacher, not the presence of your pastor, not the presence of something else, but my presence of priority will always be God. And I must stay there regardless of what the haters say. I must stay there regardless of what the bills say. I must stay there regardless of what the divorce decree says. I must stay there regardless of what my kids are doing. I must stay at the place where my help is. Because it's going to be there every time I need it. Don't let anything move you out of the presence of God. Don't let anything convince you that God is mad with you. Don't let anything convince you that you are no longer worthy of his help. To believe that you are no longer worthy of God's help or to believe that he will not be there and show up for you because of something you've done is to literally discount, devalue, and throw away the blood and the body of Jesus. Either what he did on the cross works or it didn't. There is no in-between. Either I'm forgiven and I'm righteous or I'm not. How many of you guys in this room have made a mistake last year? Raise your hand. How many of you guys made a mistake this year? Raise your hand. How many of you guys made a mistake today? Raise your hand. I'm just playing. No, don't. No. So you're turning up last night. That's all right. That's all right. Come boldly. Amen. 
It doesn't matter what it is because God's still working on you. Somebody said, well, it sounds like you're giving people a license to sin. No, I'm giving you a license to trust God. The Holy Spirit is already at work on the inside of you, but you got to let him do the work. You got to believe. And the devil's trying to get you to, 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 to think, oh, because you did this, you, you're not worthy to, to be in the presence. No, you come into the throne room boldly and you stay there. We've been talking about getting to know God and, and being in his presence, and it's all about who you know and being with him. This scripture is saying the same exact thing. In his presence is what you need. It says it in a word, in his presence is fullness of what? Yes, and what else is there? His pleasure is forevermore. But I got to get in his presence, and I got to stay there. Somebody say, stay there. Now, before Jesus went up on the cross, sin was your access issue. You could not get into the presence of God because sin was in our lives. And if you go back even further, only the Jewish folk even had a chance. Gentiles, folks like the majority of us in this room, we didn't even have an option. But when Jesus died... He did something special. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. <laughs> Go with me to Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 6 through 8. Romans 6, 6 through 8. Now, let's look at this in the Message Bible. Yeah. It says, could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed where? To the cross. Your old person, the old Jew, the sinful you, the trifling you, it was nailed, just look straight ahead, we won't notice you, uh, was nailed to the cross. But it wasn't just about your sin, it was nailed to the cross with who? With who? With Christ. See, it's all about him. He made it right. He took all your junk, he took all your mess, and he took it upon him, and it was nailed to the cross. It says, a decisive end to that sin, miserable life. Did you know that sin has no more dominion in your life? A decisive end to that sin, miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. Somebody say, well, why I'm still sinning? Because you didn't know any better or because you want to. I said, we're going to rightly divide and give you the truth, amen? amen? Do I have to sin? Not according to this. But if I'm sinning, to make this real plain and not, not to beat you up and get you in condemnation, if I'm sinning, what we found is, is because either people don't know the truth, and so sin is constantly still in their life because they're not allowing God to work with them on the inside and change their want-tos, or because they know the truth and they just want to keep doing what they're doing. But sin has been defeated. I said sin has been defeated. Because for sin not to be defeated, we would no longer have access to God. And I know that my God, my Jesus, my Lord did his job. It says it's a decisive end to that sin miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call, what we believe is this. Now, you should perk up your ears and pay attention here. 
If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. That's some good news right there. If we're included in his sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end, death as the, uh, end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin where? Down with him. Where's your sin? Where's your sin? Where's your sin? Somebody said, I don't know, tell me. He took it down with him. It's buried. It's gone. It's over. It's buried. It's gone. It's over. It's no more. Your sin, the reason why you don't have access to God, is gone. Do you believe the word? Yes, Is that what the word said? Yes, Never again will, will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. Now that sin is out the way, we have direct access to God. Jesus made God available once again to man. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. Whew, that's powerful right there. You ought not even understand when sin talks to you, because you for, for the fact of spending so much time in the presence of God. Because he's speaking your mother language of grace and love. He's speaking the mother language of truth to you. And the more you spend time with him, the less you'll even understand sin. Is there anybody here who speaks another language? Anybody? Uh, spit something in German, Teresa, real quick. Uh, say it loud, say it loud. What'd she say? <laughs> say it one more time, real loud. Real loud. Uh-huh. What'd she say? Somebody say, something about Jesus. I think it's, I, I live for Jesus Christ. I think it is. I, something about Jesus. Now, what's the issue? Why, why don't you know what Igliva Jesus Christus means? Because you don't understand it. She's speaking a language, but you don't know it. And because you don't know what she's saying, you can't act on what you're hearing. And when you don't know the language of sin, it'll be talking to you, but you'll say, I don't know what you're saying. I've spent too much time with the Father, and there's only one language I know, and it's the language of the Word. It's the language of Christ. It's the language of grace and truth. It's the language of love. And I don't know that language anymore. That's a dead, buried language, and I'm not at that place I used to be. And that's, that's what the word says. It says, you'll only know his word. The more I spend time with him and the more I, I hang out in his presence. But that's why the enemy wants you away from the throne room. 
He wants you away from the throne room because he don't want you knowing that language. Because as you get to know that language and understand that language, you'll start getting developed in that language. And then as you get developed in that language, you can go out and then begin to speak that language to others. And then before you know it, the language of God becomes the language of the land. And the enemy will be indeed defeated. If you understand that, say amen. Amen. So we didn't have to go to the cross or the tomb because Jesus did all of that for us. Instead of us going to the cross, he took the worst part of us, which was our sins, and he buried them. Leaving the rest of us better off than we ever have been. And now we have the ability to believe God and to receive all this goodness into our lives. I want you to understand that your sin nature was ejected out of you. And some of you never heard it before in your life. Your sin nature was ejected out of you. When you were in Christ, you became, what does the word say? A new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, it's all new. So why we keep acting like the old is still there? I said, why we keep acting like the old is still there? If you went to go buy a new car today, amen. Somebody receiving it, you better get it. If you went to go buy a new car today and then you drove off the lot with a new car and then it turned into a, a 72 hoopty that barely drives and it was in your parking space when you came out the house, what would you do? You, you going back to that dealership saying, I don't know what y'all gave me, but this is not what I drove off with. But why do we do that in our lives? We say, we come to church every Sunday, we come to church every Wednesday, and we declare we're new creatures in Christ, and this, that, and other. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday comes back, here I am, you know, I got a problem with this. This is going on in my life. You keep bringing back up the old. And God says you're new. You don't just be, be new today and then come tomorrow, you're back to the old. That's the deception of the enemy making you think that you got to go back to those old ways. God says you're delivered. God says you're free. God says you're whole. God says that sin is buried. God says you have access back to him. The old man is gone. You're new because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's for somebody. So our sin nature was ejected, and the nature of God who loves us is now in us. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. We're going to look at this in the New Living Translation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. We're going to go up through uh, 21. It says, either way, Christ's love does what? Controls us. Christ's love controls us. Not my sin nature. Yeah. Not my sin nature. Had a, had a weed problem and, ooh, I gotta, I gotta smoke. Had an alcohol problem. You could taste it in the air. <laughs> gotta drink. No, sin doesn't control you. Christ's love controls you. Since we believe that Christ died for us all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Say, I'm new. I'm new. Say, I'm new. I'm new. 
verse 15. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Now, what's the key point in that sentence? I got to receive it. You've been wondering, you're sitting there right now thinking, I hear what he's saying, and I see it right before me in the Word, that I'm new, but why don't I feel new? Why, why, why am I still struggling? You have to believe, and then you have to receive. You hear what the preachers are saying, you see what the Word is saying, but you have yet to receive it because that voice in your head is still saying you're no good. That voice in your head is still saying, yeah, I hear what he's saying, but. You need to get that butt out the way and go ahead and listen to what the Word of God is saying on the inside of you and receive it. Amen. Tell me the qualifications that it said other than receive it. None. He died for who? The preachers. The pastors. The tithers. The, the people who, who know John 3.16. The babies. He died for every, the black people, the white people, the Hispanic folk, the Asians, the Jews only, the black Jews. You know, we got that going on right now. I, I, I don't, I'm still trying to understand that. But, you know, I don't know. But, but, but I mean, you, what, what, he died for everyone. So that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. i got to receive this thing. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. How differently we know him now. Verse 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, does anybody in here belong to Christ today? Yeah. Does anybody belong to Christ today? Yeah. Then this means you. Check this out. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. But you don't understand what he did to me five years ago. He's a new person. Do you understand? You're talking about she a new person. She's still talking the same last night. At 11:16, she's a new person. That's the thing I love about this thing. No matter what you just did a second ago, it still applies to you the next second. It's constantly uh, like a lease that's renewing every single second, every single millisecond. You get another chance to walk in your newness. You could have screwed up right before you walked through this door, and then as far as he's concerned, he just sees a new person. And the moment you receive it, the moment you believe it, then it'll actually activate in the natural. But in the spiritual, you are perfect because of Christ who lives on the inside of you. You are indeed right now a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I declare over your household, a new life has begun. A new life has begun. Not because of what you've done, not because of who you are, but because of what he did on that cross. Because of that beating he took, because of those nails that went into his hands, because of that blood that was shed out of his side, because of what he did. And then when he went to that tomb and took that old you with him, and then ascended to the throne and brought that new you out. 
you are new. And not another day should you accept the old. Verse 18. And all of this is what? A gift from God. Do you work for a gift? If you work for a gift, that's compensation. That, you, that's old to me. A gift is given just because the giver is good. That was good. I didn't write that down. A gift. <laughs> the Holy Spirit makes you sound smart. Yeah. <laughs> that is not in these notes. But a gift is given because the giver is good. And that's what makes it a gift. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. See, I need you to understand it and make you emotional if you think about it. That God set all this up because he loves you and he was working overtime to get you back. I need you to understand that the body and the blood of Jesus won you back. I need you to understand that God has been fighting for you this whole time and he's not giving up. I need you to understand that, that the Father, the Creator, the, the King, uh, uh, Jehovah, has literally been going to bat for you, have been whooping the devil this whole time, defeated him in your life, defeated him in this earth, defeated him in heaven. He is a completely defeated foe. The devil has no authority in heaven, on earth, or anywhere else. He has been defeated because you were brought back to God. And indeed, a price was paid, but it was one that was free to you. Jesus did it all. Now, because he did all of this, here's one of the first places we see where work needs to be done on our behalf. Everything up to this point was for me to believe and receive. Are you, are you with me? Yes. Now here's where spiritual maturity steps in. That I say, thank you, Lord, for the cross. I receive everything you've done. Thank you for the resurrection. I receive everything you've done. I am now able to access the throne for all the help that I need. But now, Lord, what would you have me to do in order to love others? And God has given us this task, reconciling people to him. God is not, he didn't give you all this word and all this power to work on you. You're good to go according to the word. But that sister, that brother, that cousin, that coworker, that, that person you pass on the street, uh, that person you pass in a mall who does not know him, they need what you got. Yeah. Verse 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Do you see that? No longer counting people's sins against them. So when somebody else tells you, no, nah, I hear what he's saying, but God still knows your sins. My God is not schizophrenic. <laughs> right there, it says no longer counting people's sins against them. Is God counting your sins against you? Well, that's one of the funny translations you're using, but if in the King James, okay, go to, go to the King James. Let's, let's see what it say, what King James was talking about. 
That sounds like LeBron, but that, no, not him, King James. Yes, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Here it is, not imputing their trespass unto them. See, that's why I gave you all the other version. Amen. <laughs> not imputing your trespasses unto you and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Go to the easy to read. I mean that God was in Christ, making peace between the world and himself. In Christ, God did not hold people guilty for their sins. In Christ, in Christ. If you're not in Christ, your sins are being counted against you. If you're not saved, you sure enough are having sins counted against you. Now, here's the good news. He died for you too. So you're taking on a charge that has already been paid for. It's like you went out to eat and the bill was $200 because you got greedy and, and you got all this food and, and then I paid for the bill, but you still pay for it too. Because you didn't believe I paid. Or because you didn't want to receive my payment. I paid it, but now you just wasted money. You made the waiter happy, but I paid the bill. You got to believe it and receive it, and then what's left for you to do? Enjoy it. God is not holding his people guilty for their sins, and he gave us this message of peace to tell the people. Verse uh, 20. So we have been sent, here it is, to speak for Christ. That's what you and I are supposed to be doing beyond the cross. That's what you are and I are supposed to be doing outside of the tomb. Because we have access to the throne room now, we do have things to do, but it's not for us, it's for this world. Because you're healed. You're whole. You're prosperous. You're delivered. You got the mind of Christ. All is well in your life. Now, we got to go and speak for him. It is like God is calling to the people through us. And here we thought it was just Jesus. No, Christ is now in you. And he is using you for the people. We speak for Christ when we beg you to be at peace with God. See, the day is coming, family, where we're going to have to get to the point as preachers and pastors that we can no longer beg the believers to have peace with God. We as believers have to be at peace with God so we can go out and minister to the sinner who does not know God to be at peace with God. But the enemy has tricked us into a point of ignorance and lack of understanding that we spend all these Sundays trying to get saved folks to be at peace with God who are already at peace with God. And God said, I need my people to grow up. I need my people to believe me. I need my people to receive what I got for them because I actually need the people who don't know me to learn how to be at peace with me. But the enemy's trying to trick us every single Sunday and every single Wednesday to come in here. This is the way we go to church and literally sit in here and, and try to convince you that all is well. I need you to get a relationship with the Father so that you can live in the throne room. It's your rightful place. And so that his glory can be revealed in your life. Yeah. 
And so that you're so full of his language and so full of his love that when you come into contact with other people in your everyday life, that you radiate the love of God to them. And they will see that peace, the peace that Jesus gave you on you. They will see the glory on you. They will see the blessing in your life, and they'll say, what must I do to be saved? And then you'll simply tell them, all you have to do is believe and receive what he already did for you back on the cross. Verse 21. Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin so that in Christ we could be what? Right with God. See, I know a lot of times on Easter we stop and spend time with a message and it's all about what Christ did. And that is indeed the most important thing. But God is challenging us now to see what he did and also what he's doing. He became flesh as a favor to us. But now Christ is in heaven mediating on our behalf. We now live for Christ and not ourselves. And we are called to be a mediator between God and man. We're still imitating our Lord. We're still walking in his footsteps. But now he's calling us to a higher place. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. And we're going to look at this in the NIV. We're going to read for a little bit on this up to verse 18. Are you getting anything out of this? This is, what, this is what rightly dividing the word of truth is and just walking through things step by step so that you see it. Now what should be happening is, is while I'm giving you this truth from the word and from these notes, the Holy Spirit should be speaking to you as well. It's what we call the voice behind the word. And he will be speaking to you things about your life that only you and him know. It's cool to take notes with what I say, but I really prefer you to make sure you write down what he's saying. Amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. It says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the, reality, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, somebody say never, never. It can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Did you see what I said? Did you say it? It said our, our beloved Ten Commandments, our beloved everything else, while they were perfect in themselves, they can never, by the same sacrifices, make you perfect. Ooh, it got real quiet in this room. As hard as you try to keep them 613 laws, what does the Bible say? That if you mess up in one of them, what happens? You're guilty of all of them. And you got to check out them laws. They're interesting. You can get certain haircuts you got to have, certain foods you can't eat. So for those who would tell us or for those who would believe that, I hear what you're saying, Archie, but I'm just going to keep the law. If you're choosing to keep the law, you're choosing to keep a life of sin. Because that, the word is telling you, you're never going to attain. But I got good news for you. That's what Jesus came and did. 
That's why those scriptures we read earlier kept saying he's, he was tempted in every way, but yet without sin. It was referring back to this. He was the only one able to live a life sin-free, and therefore, he was the only human that was able to indeed be right with God. And so he, as a priest and as a sacrifice, went on the cross once and for all for you and I. See, in the old days, year after year, they had to have a sin offering where a priest, a regular priest went in and killed the blood of a bull or a goat, and they had a sin offering, and it would cover people's sins for one year. But people were never perfected because when you cover something, it's still there. But he being a, you see what it called him in those other scriptures, high priest and a perfect sacrifice offered himself to God on your behalf and mine. And when he did that, his blood covered the entire world and washed our sins. Past, present, and future. So while the commandments can't make you perfect, Christ did. Verse 2. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? Talking about the sacrifices. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all, if it worked, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Verse 3. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. Verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bull and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. He said, I'm the body. I'm the sacrifice. Verse 8. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. What does he mean that God wasn't pleased with them? He was saying that it wasn't enough. It would cover, but it wouldn't cleanse. Verse uh, 9. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. What is he talking about? He sets aside the first to establish the second, the first covenant. He set aside that first covenant, the law, the 613 commandments, now to establish the second, the covenant of grace. So if you're still trying to live by the law, if you're still trying to live by the covenant, you're living under an old contract. There's a new one that entered in the day that he died. I know they call the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the Gospel of Grace actually began when the cross happened. When he died and was resurrected, that's when the covenant of grace began. Verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus now, 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 check this out. Once for all. How many guys know that just because you make a mistake and mess up, God's not getting back up on the cross again to try to forgive you? Amen? Amen. He did it how many times? Once. And who was it for? No, just for the black folk. No, just for, for men. 
No, just for women. He did it for everybody one time. And it was strong enough to cover all people for all time. Is all well in your life? I said, is all well in your life? Mm -hmm. Let's keep going real quick. Verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Why you go to that church? I'm going to go over to our Catholic church and I'm going to go over here. And I'm not bashing any particular religion. I'm just going to do what works. I said, I'm going to do what works. And that's why I say you, you need to be in a place that teaches the whole Bible and rightly divides the truth. See, for some people, this is boring. For me, it's exciting because it's the truth. I'm like, oh my goodness, I ain't got to sit up here and wait on no priest. I ain't got to wait on nobody to explain this to me. I have direct access to the throne room. Oh, this is what Easter's really all about? This is what he did? You walk around, he rose, he rose, hallelujah. I'm talking about I'm in the throne room, hallelujah, because he rose. All is well in my life. I got the victory for real. Because then what happens is, is I can go boldly to the throne of grace and you still kneeling at the cross trying to get something. Uh-oh, I messed with somebody's religion right there. Y'all hear that? Well, there you go, messing with the cross. I'm not messing with the cross. The cross did its job. But you need to get up now and go live in the throne room. As you're sitting at the cross trying to beg God to do something he already did, the cross is empty. Oh, Lord. You can hear the religious, the religious stuff just tip popping. Oh, oh. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And you're seated right there with him. And you got to recognize who you are. The devil would love for you to keep your behind right at that cross. Do not get up because if you get up and get in that throne room, you're going to start learning his language and then you're going to realize you're all good and then you're going to go out there and start saving, uh, ministering to other folks so that they can be saved and all of a sudden supernatural power is going to start flowing in your life like it did in his and that's the last thing I want. So I need you to believe that you're broken. I need you to believe that something's wrong with you. I need you to believe that, that he's not finished with you yet. No, he's done. He, he completed his work. Now you got to believe it. You got to receive it. And you got to stand up. And you got to walk with him. Verse 12. But when the priest had, uh, yeah, but when the priest had offered for all the time uh, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down. He what? He what? Where? See, he was working down here as your favor, as grace, giving you access to the Father. Now he's up in heaven, still working on your behalf as a mediator. But he's now back in the throne room. He's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. He went from the throne to the tomb back to the throne. Because had he stayed in the tomb, we would be there with him. Had he stayed on the cross, we would be there with him. Our destiny is tied to Jesus. Wherever he is, that's where we are. 
So had he stayed on the cross, we would still be in a perpetual state of sacrifice. Had he stayed in the tomb, we'd be dead. <laughs> Forever beholden to a life of sin. But he got up. And he rose. And he hung out for a little while. And then he ascended. And now he's on assignment in heaven, supernaturally doing what he do. And we are seated with him. Verse 13. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made what? His footstool. Verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect. For by one sacrifice, the priest made one sacrifice, and he couldn't do nothing. He couldn't get, well, did something, but he couldn't do away with sin. But here we're talking about Jesus, the high priest, for by how many sacrifices? One. Not an annual one, just one. Just one. Okay, sorry. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. One sacrifice, he made you perfect. Now you're still being made holy, but you're perfect. The Holy Spirit is still making you holy, but you're perfect. So that's what people have a hard time. But why am I still having these temptations? You're being made holy, but you are perfect because of what he did. Verse 15. That's a, that's a whole message in itself. We, somebody put a pin in that. We're going to have to do a series just on I'm, I'm, I'm perfect being made holy. <laughs> the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. See, now we know we, the Holy Spirit lives where? On the inside of us. And he's constantly convincing you of the truth of what Jesus did. We thought the Holy Spirit was in there condemning us. No, he's convicting you of the truth that all is well. First he says, verse 16, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. Here's this new covenant. Before the laws were on tablet stones, he says, now I will put my laws where? In their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember how often. Here you are in prayer trying to ask God for forgiveness, and he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you sitting there telling on yourself over and over again? Somebody say, he knows, yeah, he knew. He knew what you did, but the moment you do it, it's forgiven. Because all he sees is Jesus. Amen. See, that's what makes this not fair. That's what makes this mess up in people's minds because it's an unconditional love, which means it's a love without conditions. And we keep, because we love conditionally. I mean, think about the average family, you know. You do right, you get right. You do wrong, you're getting your butt kicked. But that's not how he works. He says, I'm going to do you right because I'm good. And you only are going to get it because of what Jesus did on that cross. And for God to punish you now would mean to make the sacrifice of Jesus of no effect. It would mean that the blood was devalued and your sin was more important. 
What do you think is more important to God, the blood of his only begotten son or your sin? The blood of his son. So the blood is stronger than your sin. And when he looks at you, he sees the blood. That's why, that's why, not because of any other reason. That's why he says their sins and lawless acts. Oh, you doing them, but I don't remember them. And it is the awareness of that love that should make us say, Lord, I want to make you master of my life. I want to submit my will to your will. I want to honor you with my body. I want to honor you with my mouth. I want to honor you with my finances. Out of now relationship with you because I love you because of what you're doing for me, even though I don't deserve it, I am going to give this life that you gave me back to you. And when you open yourself up to the Holy Spirit like that, then he can work on the inside of you, making you holy. But your actions are not a requirement for his love. He loves you whether you do it or not. But if I want to get to that place with God that he's talking about, I got to make a choice today. Lord, I think I'm ready to really live my life for you. Verse 18. And where these have been forgiven, talking about your sins, sacrifice for sin is what? It's no longer necessary. No more bulls and goats. Somebody say, why don't y'all do an altar call that includes coming down and repenting? There's no more sacrifice for sin. Not even your own personal one. Yeah, you need to change your mind and change the way you think and head the other direction away from sin. That's absolutely true. But we kind of had it wrong a little bit. Making people think every time you do something, you better go get it right with God because if you don't get it right with God, it's going to be held against you and it may keep you out of heaven. That's not what this says, is it? It says literally, when these have been forgiven, where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When I first heard this, blew my mind. But then he reminded me again of his agape, unconditional love. He said, for you to sit there and have to sacrifice over and over and over again would mean that I have conditions on my love. And he says, my love is unconditional. Jesus did the full job. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Go, back, go with me back to Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 14, real quick. Uh, actually, you know what? Go to uh, Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse uh, 6. Romans 4, 6. Yeah, we're going to go down to verse, all the way to verse uh, 8. It says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Righteousness apart from works. He says, blessed are those whose transgressions are what? Forgiven, whose sins are covered. Verse 8. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Your sins have been, in that translation, that word covered means pardoned. What happens when sins are pardoned? What happens when somebody breaks the law and it's pardoned? 
Yeah, you, 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 now, here's the thing about a pardon. To be pardoned, you have to admit guilt. You can't say not guilty and then they pardon you. The only way to be pardoned is in America is if you say, I'm guilty, I messed up, and they say, even though you messed up, you're now off the hook. And that's what happened with you and I. We surely messed up. I'm not saying sin is not a reality in many people's lives, but I am saying there's a good news truth on the other side of that. It's been forgiven. Real quick, let's go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17. Now, you see your sins are forgiven, right? I think I beat that home pretty good. <laughs> we know we're forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross, correct? We also saw scripture that said that Christ buried our sins in the tomb, but also that he's no longer there. These scriptures right here tell us where he's at. It says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that what? We are God's children. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are, I love this word, heirs. Heirs of God. And co-heirs with who? Christ. Where is Christ seated at? Uh-huh, so if he's seated there, where am I seated? If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Say, I'm a co-heir with Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to go up to verse 6. Ephesians 2, 4. But because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, this is God. He made us alive with Christ. I'm no longer buried, I'm no longer dead, I'm no longer on the cross, but I'm alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It's by what? Grace. It's by what? Grace. Verse 6. And God raised, raised, you're already raised. He raised us up, not because of us, not on our own, not alone, but with Christ. But he didn't stop at just raising you up and seated us. You didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, but it's yours. Sin is not an issue. If sin was an issue, you could not be seated with him in the throne room. You could not be in the presence of God with sin. Sin cannot be in that presence. You come boldly because all is forgiven. But I don't want you to stop in your mind thinking that you're constantly in this posture before God just trying to get something from him. He says you got what you need in the time that you need it, but you're also seated as my children with my son. With him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You not only have access to the throne, you have authority on this world. 
I said, you don't just have access, you have authority. The same authority that Christ has, the same authority that Jesus had when he was on this earth is yours and mine. You can, whatever you can declare and he declares in heaven, guess what? You can declare in heaven as well as on earth. You are not crippled. You are not broken. You are at peace with your God. Do you see that? So we're joint heirs. As sons and daughters, we are positioned in Christ. We are seated in heavenly places. We have not only authority of kings, but kings of kings. Isn't that who Jesus is? And he's the what? Lord of lords. So I need you to speak out to everything that is not right in your life and use this authority that God has given you. I need you to use the faith that God has given us to call things to line up right in your life. I need you to understand that you belong in his presence and you have full access to God. I remember one time I was going to uh, somewhere overseas and I didn't realize that I'd been flying Delta for all this time and I was a platinum member. And some of these flights, man, would be like 14 hours and I would have to sit in the airport for about six hours or more on some of these layovers overseas. And so I would just find a little chair and a little seat and just sit there and, you know, try to find a little charger cable, eat me. I used to take all these little granola bars because, you know, airport food is off the chain. And so I have my little granola bar and I'm eating and I'm trying to find power and just doing all this. And, and I'm sitting here now as a Platinum Delta member not realizing that as a Platinum Delta member, you get free access into the little Delta first class sky room place. And I'll never forget. I walked up to one of the Delta people and was like, hey, uh, I'm just trying to see uh, what time, you know, uh, the plane's going to be boarding and everything like that. And the lady said, why are you down here? I said, because I'm waiting on the plane, you know. <laughs> she said, well, no, you, 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 you're a platinum member now. So as a platinum member, you go up to this room and she kind of pointed at it up there. And she said, and they'll come and get you when it's time and tell you what time it is to get on the plane. I said, well, look at God. All right. <laughs> now, I was a little nervous when I went up there because I'd never been there. And I'm walking to this room, and it's all pretty and white and all that type of stuff, and everything is all modern. I'm like, oh, y'all been, y'all been holding out up here. And I, I come up there, and the little people at the front, they say, what's your name? And they get your little, your little boarding pass, your little ticket, and they, look, they scan it. And once, all they do is scan it. And once they scan it, well, thank you very much, Mr. Collins. Your flight will be boarding at such and such, and we'll, we'll ring when it's ready. You may go in and partake and enjoy yourself. Okay. So I go around a little desk, and I come in, and there's all this food for free. I mean, food, food. I ain't talking about little snacks. I'm talking about a meal, all you can eat, all these different things you can drink. They got chairs you can just lounge in, power cords and stuff, and, and things all over the place. Showers. I mean, full-fledged showers, little areas you can go to sleep in. And I've been sitting down there in that little janky chair this whole time. <laughs> Yet I have access to all of these benefits. But simply because I didn't know. Simply because <laughs> I didn't listen when somebody told me. Simply because I didn't read the little details. It was on my ticket. <laughs> it was right there. Platinum member. And this is your pass to the da-da-da-da-da. 
but I didn't know. I wasn't familiar with it. And I wonder how many people in this world are walking around as Christians without accessing and enjoying uh, all the benefits that the Father has for them. I'm telling you on today that the cross worked. You have access. Your name is, trust me, on the register. <laughs> and all you got to do is show up. Some of you you, 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 you know, the struggle is in your life not because it's the enemy attacking, it's just because he's always attacking. But it's because you won't walk out of those circumstances and walk into his presence. It's your choice. It's your choice. Tell somebody, walk out. <laughs> you just got to get up and make the choice. I don't belong here. Well, that sounds arrogant. Well, I don't know what you want to call it, but I don't belong there. I don't belong in poverty. I don't belong in sickness. I don't belong in disease. I don't belong in divorce. I don't belong in, 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 a, in, a, in a mind that, that's depressed and stressed out. I don't belong there. Amen. And the only reason I'll be there is if I choose to stay. Amen. But his body and his blood gave me access. So I don't know about you, I'm moving back to where I belong. Now, as we close, this is how we do this. Go to Romans chapter 4, verse 2. I don't know where Brother Mark went, but uh, Bridget, you make sure to tell him I said early one time at least. <laughs> he said, back, you know, back in the church day, you got to say early about 11 times. He rose early <laughs> on Easter. So that's the one early that I can put in there that absolutely has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Amen. <laughs> Romans chapter 4, verse 2. We're going to go up to verse uh, 5. It says, in, in, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Verse 3, what does the scripture say? Abraham did what? He did what? Oh, I thought he sacrificed a whole lot. Or he worked a whole lot. Before there was a law, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. Abraham just believed God. And if Abraham believed God and we're seeds from him, then what do I need to do? Believe God. Verse uh, 4. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. If you go and do all this work, then it's by your works you would be saved. You're owed, you deserve to be compensated because you worked it out. But that's not how we get saved. Because who did all the work? Who did all the heavy lifting? Who got up on the cross? Whose blood was shed? Who went up before he went down? Who's seated? And we get to ride along with him. Verse 5. However, to the one who does not work, here's the answer. But trust God who, un, who justifies the ungodly. Their faith is credited as righteousness. So I don't try to work this thing out on my own. I don't want you to leave this place saying, man, all these benefits are mine because of what Jesus did on the cross. I better get to work. No, I want you to leave out here and say, all these benefits are mine because of what Christ did on the cross. I need to get to trust in God. Yeah, verse 6. 
David says the same thing when he speaks uh, of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. So I don't work my way into this. I believe my way into this. I trust my way into this. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved. Look at the tense in that. Is he saving you? Is he going to save you? When were you saved? Somebody say, some time ago. <laughs> On the cross. The moment the cross took place, salvation became available to all of us. You just got to receive it. I say, you just got to receive it. And don't try to partially receive, partially receive it. You know what, what I would call partial receiving it? I receive what he did, but I still think I got to work to keep it or to get it. I believe he did it, but I got to work now to keep it and get it. Well, that's a mixture of the old way and the new way. The right way is to say, I believe he did it. I receive it. And that's all that's left for me to do is to trust him with it. It is a gift of God, verse uh, 9, not by works so that no one can boast. I need you to understand that We've risen, we're saved because he rose. You're no longer the way that you used to be. God fulfilled his earthly purpose on the cross through Jesus. While the cross was good and absolutely powerful and necessary, the resurrection was even greater for you and I. He got up. We got to get up. He walked around. It's time for you and I to get out there and walk around and show his presence. He went up after that. It's time for you and I to go and spend time in the throne room of grace and make our presence permanent there. And then what did he do after he went up there? He sat down. It's time for us to rest from all of our work, all of our labor, all of our worry, all of the doubt, all of the fear. He came from the throne to the tomb and back to the throne so that we can have full access to the Father. I need you to understand that you have everything we've talked about today. I know what people have said about you. I know they may be counting you out. But because of the blood of Jesus, you've been counted in. I know they've been talking about you and they thought you were done but your story is far from over it didn't end at the resurrection Christ is still operating on our behalf some of us had a time of sacrifice a time where we humbly laid everything down and I want you to know that that wasn't in vain but God has already purchased your victory Christ has purchased your deliverance your freedom he was buried so that you and I can rise. Now it's time for us to rise. Now it's time for us to walk as he has created us to. It's time for us to be free and to live as he's designed for us to live. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. And hearing all that you heard on today, 
I want you to make an honest decision. To believe and receive what Jesus did on that cross. I've laid out before you the, the, the whole process the best I could for you to see what he did. Now it's up to you. Do you trust God enough to say, Lord, all is well. Lord, I believe you. And Lord, this day, I receive my sonship. Because in that sonship is your anointing. In that sonship is your ability to fulfill God's will for your life. The cross, the tomb, and the resurrection, all handled by Jesus, makes that available. So if you're with me on today and you're declaring today that you are seated with Christ, that you're receiving your access to the throne of grace, and you will remain in that place, then if that's you, then I want you to stand to your feet. You say, I'm making a declaration today that I am indeed a child of God. Now, hear what I'm saying. You may already be saved, but this is you saying, I'm making a choice to walk with him, to make him Lord of my life, to receive 100% everything he has for me. This is not saying, oh, I'm being saved for the first time. This is for saved people. Hear what I'm saying. This is for saved people. Now you're getting it. This is for saved people. This is for saved people. Some of y'all, see, see, that's why, that's what, we're not doing church like usual. Some of y'all are like, wait a minute, I think this applies to me, but I'm not sure. <laughs> this is for saved folk who says, not another day, I'm a child of God. Not another day, I walk in his glory. Not another day will I accept anything less than God's best for my life. Now look around. You're not alone. All that God has made available is yours. Now it's time for you to take it. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I receive what is mine. I take what is rightfully mine. I take access to your presence, your grace, your mercy, your deliverance, your healing. I take all that is mine which is all that is yours. Lord Jesus, Christ, I thank you. I am now seated with you in heavenly places. We're no longer in the tomb, but we're in the throne. And we receive that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on and give God a hand clap of praise. Bible says, in all thy getting, get what? And sometimes understanding takes a little time. <laughs> sometimes understanding takes a little word. Every time it takes a word. But as long as you got it, you got it. And can't nobody take it from you. 
Now, you may be in this room and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You heard everything we said and it's available to you and you want to be saved. In just a moment, we're going to invite people down to the front. You're going to get to come down here to the front. We're going to pray with and for you. In just a moment, for those people who want to be saved, you'll come down, but maybe you're saved and you're out of fellowship with God and you, and you, know, you want to get that right. We don't always do this at the end of service, but sometimes we need to see in the Word that all is well with He and I. And if that's you, in a moment, we're going to invite people down to the front. You can come too. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, that is the second experience as a believer. That's when the power comes on you to get the job done. Many people get saved, but they say, well, I don't need that tongues thing. You don't need tongues to go to heaven, but if you want to get the job done on earth that God has called you to do, you absolutely need the evidence of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. And last but not least, if you want to join this church, I can't think of any better place if this is the place where God has called you to. Somebody say, what did he just say? I said, if this ain't where God called you to, we appreciate you visiting, but you got to be where he wants you to be. I tell people all the time, this is the best church in Texas for those God has called here. Amen? It, it doesn't mean we're better. It doesn't mean we're better than everybody else. It means we're the best for you because God called you here. You see the difference? There's no place like home. There's, you know, the food is not the same. The bed ain't the same. I mean, I could spend a night over the cousin's house, but I'm so glad when I get home. Amen. So if this is the place that God has called you to in just a moment, we're going to invite you down to the front. Um, so in, in about 10 seconds, I'm going to ask you guys to minister to those who are around you. Uh, but before we do that, how many of you guys got something out of this message? Okay. So I'm going to challenge you to sow, to give. Give back to God because you're honoring him based on what he gave to you. Understand this about tithe, and, and, and we've taught this several times, but I especially want our new ears to hear this today. God loves you if you don't put a dime in that bucket because it's unconditional love, right? So to say that he only will love me if I put money in the bucket is a condition. I give like Abraham gave before there was a law to give. I give simply to honor God. I give simply because I love God. And Abraham tithed. It's okay to tithe, but I'm not going to hell if I don't. I'm not cursed if I don't. I don't want you to give out of guilt. I want you to give out of relationship with the Father. So you hear what God tells you to give, and you sow. Paul says it all throughout the New Testament. He talks about giving and, and, and giving of alms and things like that to minister to the, uh, the widow, the fatherless, the stranger. He talks about sowing into ministry and things like that. That's what our money is for. It helps this word of grace and this gospel of grace go all around the world. And far be it for me to receive from this word, receive from God, and then not turn around and sow back into it. Amen. If I, was have, if I had a gym membership and it was working in my life, I would pay for that, wouldn't I? People do it all the time. Sometimes we pay and don't even go. Just look straight ahead. We won't know it's you. <laughs> so we don't have a problem giving our money to things we believe in. Here's the question. Do you believe in the ministry of God? 
and the ministering of the gospel of grace. Well, then if you do, then you sow. And it's that simple. No more guilty giving. Well, I hear what you're saying, but I just, I, I like tithing. Good, tithe. I never said not to. I just saw a widow in the Bible who came down with two mites and it never said it was her tithe. And it was enough to get the attention of Jesus. All I know is, is that if you're in the room and you only got a couple of coins, God says, I'll honor that if you're trusting me. So, so. So, and believe God. Uh, what they got up on the screen is a way that you can give by text. And I want you just to take those offerings or your phones and let's just hold them up real quick. Father God, we thank and praise you for this seed that we're sowing. We say in Jesus' name, it's already blessed because we're blessed. So we give today so that your ministry can continue forward. We sow today into good ground. And we thank you for the harvest from it. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, say amen. amen. Ushers, you may serve the people. And as they're serving you, now back to the business of our souls. <laughs> so if you need to be saved, we want you to now come down to the front. If you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, we invite you down. Or if you say, man, I've been away from God for so long, I need somebody to pray with me and talk with me about getting back now with him. We want to invite you down. And last but not least, if you want to join the church, the altar is definitely now open for all four of those. As people are making their decisions, go ahead and minister to those who are around you. Ask them if they need prayer for any one of those four things. If they would say yes on anything, then we want you to help them come down to the front. Let's just do that now. Let's turn this whole place into a soul winning hall uh, where we just minister one to another. Clap of praise for those who have come down. Amen. Let's stretch your hands towards them. Father God, we thank and praise you for this lovely couple, Father, and this entire family, Father. We thank you that your hand is upon their lives, Lord. We thank you that as they've come down in obedience to your word, Father, they will obtain all that they came to receive. And we know that as a result, their lives will never be the same again. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Let's give God another hand clap of praise. If you guys will follow Miss Janice out, uh, she'll take care of you. Make sure that you get everything that you came down for. Amen. Praise God. Let's give God another hand clap of praise. Well, you are free in Jesus' name. Amen. You're seated with him. He's at the throne and you're there with him. So let's just go and enjoy that today. Amen. Amen. Raise your hands if you prepare to be dismissed. Now unto him who is able to keep us from faultless and present us faultless before the almighty God. Jesus, to you be glory, dominion and power, both now and forever. We thank you for your love. We thank you for being the grace and truth in our lives. And because of that, we leave this place free in Jesus' name. And all that, is agree, all that agree with this, say, 
Amen. Amen. We love you so much. You are dismissed.